Our prayer is that God will add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning and that the words from my mouth will be just what we need to hear today. It's really tough to preach your first sermon at a new church. I remember very well the first Sunday in August in 2016 when I stepped up to this pulpit for the first time as your pastor. And I was scared. I was really, really scared. All kinds of thoughts went through my head. What if I make a mistake? (laughs) Well, we've all learned that that's a pretty normal thing, isn't it? (laughs) What if I say something that's incorrect? Well, I've learned that the answer to that one is that they usually don't know. (laughs) Just being honest, folks. What if uh, I I, I can't keep their attention during the sermon? What if they fall asleep? I've learned that that too is normal around here. And I'm okay with that if you fall asleep. I think that's a good sign that you're comfortable here. And so I'm not encouraging you all to fall asleep, but my usual sleepers, you know, it's okay. You have my, you have my permission, am I okay with that? But it was nerve-wracking that first day. Uh, our, our, council, or our, yeah, our council president was kind enough to leave me a nice note up here. And it was a very good reminder, and it was exactly what I needed. I don't know, Larry, if I've ever thanked you for that. But it was, it was absolutely perfect, and it was exactly what I needed to read. It just said, uh, I still have it hanging in my office where it'll be until I leave. Uh, it just said very simply, relax. You're just, this is just another hour with your friends. Something to that effect, right, Larry? And it was very helpful. But nonetheless, it was, very, it was very difficult and it was very nerve-wracking. Well, Jesus went to the synagogue that day, and this was the first time he spoke before the people, at least the first time it was recorded that he spoke before the people in the synagogue. And I have a feeling that since it was his turn to preach, he probably wasn't nervous like I was that Sunday. Uh, nobody there could have guessed what he was going to say. They didn't, they'd have never guessed in a million years that he wasn't just going to explain the scripture, as was usually done by those who stood up and taught. But he was going to fulfill it. This would be a service to remember and one that the congregation would be talking about for a long time. One that they would probably remember for the rest of their lives. I'll bet you can't remember my first sermon, as I can't. But the passage that Jesus read from was a prophecy. It was from Isaiah, who had lived about 700 years earlier. But instead of interpreting this passage for his listeners in the synagogue that day, he read it, and then he ended with these words. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What? 
if there were microphones in that day, this would have been one of those mic drop moments. Because Jesus, a local boy, a carpenter from a modest family, had just announced that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. How he was the Messiah sent from God. How's that for something to talk about at the Big Apple at lunch? The nation of Israel had waited for around a thousand years for God to send the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was promised. They believed that he would be a descendant of King David, that he would observe Jewish law, that he would be a righteous judge, and they also believed that he would be a great military leader because they misinterpreted the scriptures. They didn't expect that he would be one of them. So what was he talking about? If he was the long-awaited Messiah, then what was God saying about God's nature and about God's plan for the world? Well, the first thing that we learn is that Jesus came, he said, to bring good news to the poor. It's important to understand because it tells us so much about God's character, about God's heart. When you have good news to tell, who do you want to share it with first? You want to share it with people that are most affected by that news. And in this case, the poor. Think about this. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to wonder where their next meal is coming from. Nobody wants to be unable to provide for their family. Yet, in this great nation and around the world, there are many who are poor. These are some of the people that are close to God's heart. These are some of the people who God is concerned about. Jesus, over and over again, in the New Testament, in his life story, we read about him identifying with the least and the lowest. Maybe that's why his first bed, didn't talk about it much this Christmas season, but usually during Advent, we have the manger, the, the, the cattle feeder laying there. And I explained to the kids, but that's what it is. Baby Jesus was laid in a nothing more than a trough where the cows ate out of. Jesus spent his adult life without a home of his own, without any possessions except what he carried with him as he traveled. And he went from town to town sharing the message of love with everyone that he met. Here's how author Michael Frost summed up Jesus's life. He said, regardless of how many affluent pastors might love their beautiful state-of-the-art air-conditioned church sanctuaries with their coffee bars, bookshops, and valet parking lots, we cannot forget that Jesus died on the cross alone, naked, and empty-handed. God cares about the poor. When I say that, I'm not putting limits on God's love and saying that he only cares about the least. 
But his love has no limits. And he mentions the poor first. You can measure the limits of someone's heart by how well they love people that other people ignore. Some people are left out. Some people are powerless, have nothing to say in our world. But in God's kingdom, the poor are precious and held close to God's heart. Jesus loved them so much that he chose to walk in their shoes, and he calls us to love them as well. Jim Wallace is the founder of The Sojourners, which is a magazine. It's actually a bigger organization than just a magazine. But it's an organization that works for peace and social justice based on the teachings of Jesus. And their focus is on meeting the needs of those who are on the outer fringes of society and who are often left out, including those who are poor. When Wallace was in seminary, he and some of his classmates were really, uh, during a study, deeply impressed by all the verses in the Bible that emphasize God's concern for the poor. So he took a Bible out, and they sat down with that Bible and a pair of scissors, and they cut out every verse that related to justice for the poor, not exploiting the poor, sharing your resources with the poor, and God's love for the poor. And when they were finished, it was, they, they had decided that they wanted to see what a compassionless Bible looked like. And when they were finished, there were 2,000 verses laying on the floor and a book of tattered pages. Much of the Bible was missing when that subject was removed from it. When you read the words of Jesus, God in the flesh, God's compassion, God's love jumps out at you. So Jesus starts with these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The second thing we learn is that God's love covers everyone, everyone who is hurting. His next words are, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In his life on earth, Jesus did those things. He set people free. He healed them. He stood up for people who were oppressed and who were ignored by others. He welcomed the rejects, and he looked out for the forgotten. He was a voice for the voiceless. Jesus came to bring hope, to bring healing, and to bring freedom to those who were most in need of it, including the ones he called the poor in spirit. I think that's an interesting phrase, the poor in spirit. It says to us that you and I can be rich in material things, and we can still be poor in spirit. We can be gifted and still be poor in spirit. Jesus came to bring a message of hope to a world that was and still is desperate for love, desperate for the love of God. And no matter how good our life looks on the outside, we can be very, very poor on the inside. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's sadness. No amount of money or titles or friends, or possessions, 
or accomplishments can fill that emptiness or that fear or that hopelessness. Author Jack Key writes this, We all know people who live in hell in the most elegant and luxurious environment. And we also know people who radiate heaven even though they live in poverty. Adoniram Judson spent 38 years ministering to the people of Burma, which is now known as Myanmar. And at one point, he was thrown into prison on suspicion of being a spy. While he was in prison, his wife died. And after he was released, he contracted a disease that he had for the rest of his life. And yet, through all of this, his faith remained strong. He was known for this saying. He would always tell people, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Do we believe that? Do we trust God enough to believe that God's promises are not going to be broken? That they will be kept And then the last thing we learn from today's reading is that God brings us hope, no matter what our circumstances. Because this passage shows us we have a God who loves us and cares about our challenges, cares about our difficulties, cares about our heartbreaks, our suffering. And he cared enough to endure them himself, to come here and live as one of us. When we understand that kind of love, I don't think we can really ever understand it, but when we begin to understand that kind of love, we can live a happier, more joyful life. We can live more freely because we know a God who loves us so much that it will bring strength and comfort to us. And, it will, and that we know that, that knowledge that he will be with us in all circumstances, no matter what's happening in our lives. Edie Ogan was a woman of amazing faith in God, which she had learned from her mother, who raised her and her six siblings as a single mom. One of Edie's favorite stories from her childhood happened around Easter of 1946. One month before Easter Sunday, in church, the pastor announced that the church would be collecting a special offering for a needy family in the community. After church, the family discussed together how they could give, how they could sacrifice to collect some money to help out with this offering for this poor family, whoever they were. They decided to buy a big bag of potatoes and to live off that bag of potatoes for the month. This way they could save up $20. They also decided to use as little electricity as possible for the month. They tried to be frugal in every way so that they could take that money and set it aside. The kids did some yard work, and they did some babysitting to raise some extra money. They bought yarn, and they made potholders, and they sold them to people in the neighborhood. And then Edie said that that month before Easter was one of the happiest moments of her li- or months of her life, and her entire family said that as well. They were so excited to see their offering money that they were placing in a jar grow a little bit each day. They couldn't wait for Easter Sunday when they could put that money in the offering plate. The idea that they could help a family who needed it 
that they could pass along some of the blessings that God had given them. Gave them so much joy that the sacrifices and the work became fun. That Easter Sunday morning, they put cardboard in their shoes to cover the holes, and they walked to church. They had raised $70 for that special offering. And they were so excited when they put their $70 in the offering plate, smiles from ear to ear. After church, they sang all the way home. When they got home, they celebrated with Easter lunch of boiled eggs and potatoes. That afternoon, the pastor came knocking at the door. He spoke to Edie's mom, and then he left. When mom came back into the kitchen, all the joy was gone from her face. In her hand, she had an envelope with that morning's special offering for a needy family. $87. They were shocked. They were the poor family. She said they'd never thought of themselves as poor. In fact, they felt sorry for families who didn't have the things that they had. They had love and faith and good friends, a safe home, a church family, all the things they needed. And so a sadness came over them. Nobody touched the money. It sat there on the kitchen table all week. Next Sunday morning, they woke up and they didn't want to go to church. But mom insisted. Well, it happened that that morning, there was a missionary who was visiting. She talked about the work that she was doing in Africa and the people in Africa who were in need. And she asked the congregation if they would contribute, if they could take an offering to help them pay for a roof that was needed for a family in Africa. It would only cost $100. So the mom looked at the kids. They looked back at her, and they all smiled at one another. They knew what they were going to do. Without saying a word, mom pulled the envelope out of her purse. When she dropped it in the offering plate, the joy returned to their faces. And imagine the missionary's joy. When she counted up the money and she thanked the church for raising enough money to buy a new roof. And she looked at the pastor in the presence of the whole congregation and said, you must have some rich people in this church. And Edie wrote, suddenly it struck us. We were the rich family in church. Hadn't the missionary said so? From that day on, I've never been poor again. I've always remembered how rich I am because I have Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The deepest question of the human heart is, is there a God? And the question after that is, if so, what is God like? Jesus answered those questions. God is right here with us. He came to bring the good news. And he cares about people who are hurting and who are in need. 
Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about God's character? This is a God you can trust with your whole life. With all my heart, I believe that. And I hope and pray this morning that we will all trust our lives and everything we are and everything we have to this one who has given us so much and who has brought us such good news, even in these perilous times. Amen.